0: This is that area of your life where you have a keen lack of self-awareness. It's that thing about you that everybody sees except you. Maybe at work or at school there is someone you spend time with who doesn't smell very good. And everybody notices it except that person. It's always an awkward situation, isn't it? Or maybe you know someone who's a chronic complainer, always griping and complaining about everything, and then she wonders why no guys ever ask her out. Or what about the guy who habitually curses, just uses bad language all the time, and everybody around him feels uncomfortable. Parents are covering their children's ears but he doesn't get it. He just goes right on cursing. So this is what I'm talking about when I talk about a blind spot. It's that area of your life where you have a complete lack of self-awareness. Everybody sees it but you. Now, don't sit there and fold your arms and say, well, he's not talking to me today because I don't have a blind spot. Because if that thought just went through your head, That probably means you have a blind spot. Well, there is a story in the Bible, a very powerful story about a man with a blind spot. And he is someone we know very well. I'm not going to dig out some obscure Bible character today. I'm talking about David. David, the man after God's own heart. His story about his blind spot is in 1 Samuel chapter 25, but it's a long chapter, and so I'm just going to tell you the story, and then we'll read some key verses as we get down into it. There came a time when David and his soldiers, his men, were on patrol and needed some supplies. And he knew that there was a very wealthy man who lived in the area named Nabal. And so he sent a few of his soldiers to Nabal, to his ranch, to ask for some supplies. And um, it's important to understand that they did not approach Nabal uh, in a threatening manner. They were soldiers and they were armed, but they didn't go in there waving their weapons and making threats. The Bible says they were very polite. And it's also important for us to understand why they felt justified in making this request because it might seem at first glance, like they were maybe a little out of line. But here's the thing. They had been protecting Nabal's shepherds who were tending his flocks in the outlying areas away from the main part of the ranch. And they didn't have to do that. They didn't work for Nabal. But they were patrolling the area, and they felt it was important to keep the peace. And so um, they chased away would-be bandits and sheep stealers, And by the way, Nabal's flocks were huge. 1 Samuel 25, 2 says he had over 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And they would have been spread out over a large area. And David and his men helped protect those flocks and those shepherds. And by the way, you know that if Nabal had 3,000 sheep and Um, 1,000 goats, you know he could have afforded to give up one or two to help feed David's men. Uh, But he didn't because he was a jerk. That's a good theological term for you. He was a jerk. Uh, Verse 3 says, Nabal, a descendant of Caleb, was crude and mean in all his dealings. And so he said no. To this request, but he didn't just say no. He also insulted David and his men. In verse 10, he said, Who is this fellow David? Who does this son of Jesse think he is? There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. Should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered for my shearers and give it to a band of outlaws who come from who knows where? That wasn't very neighborly, was it? And so David's men went back and told him that Nabal refused to help them, and they told him what he said. They told him about the insult. And uh, David blew up. I want you to see what he said there, 1 Samuel chapter 25, starting at verse 21. He said, a lot of good it did to help this fellow. We protected his flocks in the wilderness, and nothing he owned was lost or stolen, but he has repaid me evil for good. May God strike me and kill me if even one man of his household is still alive tomorrow morning. And this is where we come face to face with David's blind spot. There was absolutely no way he would have been justified in killing a whole bunch of people simply because Nabal was rude to him and insulted him. Such a violent and bloody response would have been an outrageous overreaction, but he couldn't see it because of his anger. All he could think about was teaching that jerk a lesson he would never forget. And friends, this is not an unusual situation. People develop blind spots for a variety of reasons, but one of the most common is anger. Occasionally, you'll hear people talk about somebody being in a a blind rage, and that's a good way to say it, a blind rage. Um, Every night on the evening news, you'll see stories, tragic stories about reckless people who became blind to all reason and common sense because of their anger. Well, as the story continues, one of Nabal's servants realized what had happened, recognized the danger they were all in. He'd probably heard uh, what David was planning to do. And so he went to Nabal's wife. A woman named Abigail, whom the Bible says was very intelligent and very beautiful. And he told her what had happened. And he told her, you know, hey, by tomorrow we're all going to be dead if somebody doesn't do something. And so Abigail had some thinking to do. She understood what kind of man she was married to. She had probably witnessed his obnoxious behavior countless times. She knew that David was in a murderous rage. I doubt that at that point in history she had ever heard the term testosterone. (laughs) But I think she intuitively understood that that's what she was in the middle of. Two guys beating their chests determined to defend their manhood. And so she made a decision without her husband's knowledge. She gathered together the supplies that David had requested. She loaded them on a wagon and she went out to meet him face to face. And I want to begin reading in 1 Samuel chapter 25 verse 24 and show you what she said to David when she met him with these supplies. It says, she fell at his feet and said, I accept all blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay any attention to him. He's a fool, just as his name suggests. This sounds like a great marriage, doesn't it? (laughs) And she says, but I never even saw the young men you sent. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands, Let all your enemies and those who try to harm you be as cursed as Nabal is. And here is a present that I, your servant, have brought to you and your young men. Please forgive me if I have offended you in any way. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty, for you are fighting the Lord's battles, and you have not done wrong throughout your entire life. Even when you are chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure pouch. But the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. When the Lord has done all he promised and has made you the leader of Israel, don't let this be a blemish on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done these great things for you, please remember me, your servant. There are lots of examples of, of courage in the Bible, and often they're related to um, you know, dangerous situations or amazing feats of strength or da- dangerous wartime circumstances. But, but I happen to think this is an incredible act of courage right here. For one thing, Abigail was sneaking around behind her husband's back, and he was not the kind of man to take kindly to that. And there is no telling what he would have done to her if he had found out that she was sneaking around behind his back defying his authority. But also Abigail had no idea how David was going to respond. All she knew about him at this point was that he was in a murderous rage. He was ready to commit mass murder. So she didn't know what he would do. She didn't know if he might just kill her on the spot as a way of getting back at her husband. So this was a very risky Very dangerous thing she did, but she did it because she was trying to prevent a disaster, a disaster that was going to happen because of David's blind spot. So let's read verses 32 through 35 and see what happened. Then we'll make some application. It says, David replied to Abigail, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. For I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept me from hurting you, that if you had not hurried out to meet me, not one of Nabal's men would still be alive tomorrow morning. Then David accepted her present and told her, Return home in peace I have heard what you said, we will not kill your husband. And that's a pretty happy ending, right? But you know what? It gets even better because if you read on down through the story, you find out that just a few days later, Nabal had a heart attack and died. (laughs) Which made Abigail a single woman. Do I have to tell you what happened next? David proposed to Abigail, who accepted, and they got married, and it's a Disney movie. (laughs) What was about to become an epic disaster that could have ruined David's life and reputation uh, turned out to end in a happy ending um, because Abigail could see what David couldn't see, and she stepped up to approach him about it. So there are two great lessons in this story that I think we can all benefit from. Lesson number one is that anybody, anybody can have a blind spot. (coughs) The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart, which is one of the highest compliments you can pay a person I mean, to say he's a man after God's own heart. That means he's um, not lukewarm. He's not one of these people, you know, cold one day and hot the next. He's not one of these people that, you know, talks a good game but doesn't back it up. David was the real deal. He was a man after God's own heart. But he still had a blind spot. And what I'm saying to you today is that if David could have a blind spot, Certainly any of us could. Which leads me to say this. Don't be surprised if someday someone approaches you and tells you that you have a blind spot. Don't be surprised if someone confronts you about a flaw in your thinking or in your character or in your behavior that you do not see in yourself. Now when that happens, your initial reaction will be probably to defend yourself because that's just what we do. I mean, we have this little switch down inside us, and it just kind of automatically flips. When somebody comes to you and tells you what's wrong with you, something you're doing that isn't right, that switch flips, and we immediately go into self-defense mode. But I want to encourage you not to do that. I want to encourage you to do what David did in this passage. Stay calm, listen carefully to what's being said, and then seriously consider. Now, it's possible that the person is wrong. It's possible that the person is accusing you of something you're not guilty of. But I, would, I just want to say, if someone comes to you and approaches you about a problem that you have that they say you don't see in yourself, there's a real good chance. I don't I, I say an 85 to 90% chance they're right. And here's how you can know they're right. Because they came and talked to you about it. Because most people don't want to do that. You know how you hate to go to somebody and tell them about something they're doing or something in their life that isn't right. You hate that. Everybody hates that. And so the person who came to you to talk to you probably didn't want to. Probably worried about it. Might have laid in bed at night staring at the ceiling wondering what you were going to say. Maybe wondering if it would damage irreparably damage your relationship but still even with all that discomfort and all that fear they still felt it was necessary to come and talk to you and that alone probably tells you that what they're telling you is not imaginary if someone comes to you to talk to you they have been through a lot of pain just making that decision and so that tells you they're they're probably onto something Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. Maybe you've been working hard on your character. Maybe you've overcome a lot of bad habits and things in your life. Maybe you're a much better person now than you used to be. Maybe you're truly seeking God. Great. That's fantastic. It doesn't mean you can't have a blind spot. Here's lesson number two there may come a time when you will need to help someone see his or her blind spot. In other words, you might need to play the role that Abigail plays in this story. And so let's talk about that because it's a really delicate situation when you get to the place where you need to confront somebody. First, let me just say you shouldn't go around looking for people with blind spots. (laughs) Well, first of all, just about everybody has one, so, I mean, they're easy to find. You can find them anywhere. Uh, But the other thing is, you just don't want to be that kind of person, right? There are people like that. They're just fault finders. They just go around looking at everybody and figuring out what's wrong with you and what's wrong with you and what's wrong with you, and they can just find something wrong with everybody and everything, and you don't like people like that, and you don't want to be that person. So you don't go around looking for people with blind spots, but occasionally you're going to encounter someone who has developed a blind spot, someone that's close to you. It may be damaging your relationship with that person. It may be hurting the family. It may be hurting that individual. Maybe it's not even hurting you, but you can see that it's hurting them. If that's the case, then it is your duty as a Christian and as a friend, especially as a family member to have that conversation. Now, fortunately, in this story we've looked at today, Abigail gives us a really good plan on how to approach a conversation like that. So let's look at it. She did three things that I think will work for us. First of all, she clothed herself with humility. Verse 23 of our text says that when she approached David, she bowed low before him. And verse 24 says she fell at his feet in other words, she did not do what a lot of people do today when they confront. You know, a lot of people today come on like gangbusters. You know, they, they've been offended by the person's behavior. They don't like what they're seeing. It's like, I'm going to go straighten him out. And they come in with this haughty attitude. She didn't do that. She took the humble approach. Um, now, I don't think you need to Bow. Get down on your knees before somebody like she did. That was a cultural thing that a woman would have been expected to do in that time uh, so many years ago in a different culture. Uh, So you don't need to worry about that. But I do think you need to really come with a, a, a humble attitude because if you don't, if you come in there all haughty and uppity, That person is not going to take it well. First thing he's going to do is look for a blind spot in your life or something you're doing that isn't right, and he's going to start throwing that back at you. First thing you know, you've got a tug of war going. You're getting completely off the subject, and the whole thing falls apart. That's why humility is so important. You could even say to a person, look, I know i got plenty of my own faults. That'd be a great way to start. Look, I know, I, I, I... I got plenty of my own faults, but I just want to talk to you about something that's on my heart. See, that's humility. The second thing Abigail did was to choose her words carefully. She did not say, dude, what are you doing? This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. She's like, why don't you just grow up? Now, I think I know some people who probably would take that approach. You probably have met people in your life who have zero tact. They're like a bull in a china shop when it comes to uh, handling anything delicate. But Abigail was incredibly tactful and kind. There was not a hint of venom in her words Uh, In fact, she even found a way to compliment David. This is a man who is ready to commit mass murder. And she found a way to compliment him. She said, uh, you're fighting the Lord's battles and you have not done wrong throughout your entire life. And I don't think she meant that he had never made a mistake. I just think she was saying, look, David, you've never done anything like this before. You know, friends, you can probably... Say just about anything to just about anybody if you say it the right way. And I'm not just talking about words. Words are important. I'm also talking about attitude. I'm talking about body language. I'm talking about tone of voice. There is a way to speak hard truths to people who need to hear them. Well, the third thing Abigail did was to challenge David to a higher ambition. If you look closely at the little speech she made to David when she took the supplies out to meet him, you'll notice that she mentioned the Lord seven times in that little speech. Do you think that was an accident? I don't think so. I think it's clear what she was doing. She was very subtly and very cleverly lifting David's gaze above the problem at hand to the higher calling that God had placed on his life. In essence, she was saying, David, you are the Lord's servant. This murderous anger that you have is beneath you. You're better than this. And friends, this is the number one thing you need to remember when you confront somebody. The number one thing, everything else I've said is important. This is number one. When you go to confront somebody about a problem that they have in their life, about a blind spot, about something they can't see in themselves, the number one thing, do not attack them and beat them down. Instead, encourage them and lift them up. Encourage them to think of a better way to go. And that's what Abigail does in this passage. I am convinced that this room right now is full of blind spots. I would say it's pretty likely that we all have one. Now some of them might be relatively small and of little consequence. But some of them might be major. Some of them, some of the blind spots in this room, if you have one, it might be threatening your marriage. It might be breaking your family. It might be destroying friendships, driving people away from you. I know that if there is a blind spot in your life, and a conversation needs to be had, I know you're not going to want to have it. And it's possible that you've known for a long time that a conversation needs to be had with someone in your life, and you've just put it off and put it off and put it off because you're worried about it. Because you're worried how the person would receive it. You're worried if it would do damage to the relationship. Friends, hopefully today, Abigail has given you some ideas on how you can start that conversation. Some ideas that just might save your marriage or your family or your friendship. But I don't want you to become so enamored with Abigail's side of this confrontation that you forget about David because he did it right too. When he was confronted, he kept an open mind. He listened to her words. He took them to heart and he changed. And here's the thing. I don't know which end of this conversation you're going to be on. I don't know if you're going to be David or Abigail. But if you ever find yourself in a conversation like this, whether you're David or whether you're Abigail, I pray that you will remember this story and follow this example. Being exposed to a blind spot in your life is one of the most painful things that can happen to you, but it's one of the best things that can happen to you. It can literally save lives. We see it in this story. It could save lives in your life. It could save your marriage. It could save your family. So whichever end of the conversation you end up on, you have a great example here to follow let's stand Father in heaven life and relationships can be so messy at times our thinking can get so skewed when our emotions get the best of us sometimes we just get lazy and please forgive us for those blind spots that we occasionally develop And do whatever it takes to help us recognize where our thoughts and feelings and where our behavior is not lining up with your will. Lord, may we then be humble enough to recognize it, to repent, and to set a new course. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.